This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to the first. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So tonight inshallah ta'ala we're going to be talking about the last of the first seven to show their Islam publicly, to display their Islam publicly according to the narrations that we have cited when speaking about Bilal and Khabbab and Ammar. And uh, his character is uh, one of my favorites to cover because he really is a character, subhanAllah, and uh, has such an endearing personality that comes through even as you're reading about him in the books, about what made him so endearing to the Prophet ﷺ and the companions, his charisma, his humor, his uh, you know, his his journey uh, to the Prophet ﷺ, which was uh, so unique, and uh, that is Suhaib ibn Sinan ibn Malik al-Rumi radiAllahu taala anhu. Suhaib ibn Sinan is a companion whose journey is uh, similar to Salman al-Farisi radiAllahu taala anhu in that it brings together what was taking place with the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire, and then of course uh, what was taking place in the home of the Prophet ﷺ in the heart of Mecca. Because Suhaib ties all of those things together with his own personal journey, much in the way that Salman does. However, Suhaib's is a lot, uh, a lot less conventional, if you will, uh, from the very beginning. Salman anhu, who we'll talk about in detail, uh, you know, his journey uh, starts off at home in the Persian Empire as a Persian. His father was, you know, uh, a, a ruler, a leader amongst the Persians. Suhaib ibn Sinan was actually an Arab. And so you, you wouldn't know that if you read Suhaib al-Rumi, you would assume he's Roman. And we'll talk about why there's an assumption that he's Roman. Uh, Suhaib ibn Sinan is actually uh, an Arab. And his father was an Arab named Sinan ibn Malik. And his father was uh, so intelligent, was so advanced that on, uh, you know, it appears to be a trade route uh, with the Persian Empire or something along those sorts. The Persian Empire, emperor of the time, uh, Kisra, appointed him to govern a city on his behalf. And so he's an Arab governor in a city by the name of Al-Ubullah. And uh you know, he's an Arab governor of a Persian city on behalf of the emperor, and Suhaib is growing up in that city. And this city is now, by the way, part of Basra, because remember that uh, Iraq was encompassed under the rule of the Persian Empire uh, at the time. So Suhaib is an Arab kid growing up amongst the Persians, but his father is a leader amongst the Persians, which is very rare in and of itself. And Suhaib was one who was uh, who was particularly loved by his parents, and uh, to make this even stranger, Suhaib was an Arab whose father was a governor in the Persian Empire who looked like a Roman kid. So he had white skin, he had blonde hair, and so he looked like a Roman, but he was an Arab and he lived amongst the Persians where his father uh, was a governor. It gets more uh, confusing, if you will, or not confusing, but it gets it, it gets more adventurous as you go through his story. Suhaib was only five years old when his mother took him out for a picnic in a city that is in uh, what was what was Ninaway, which where Yunus alayhi salam is from, where the Prophet Jonah is from. So in Ninaway in Iraq, they said it was an area uh, by uh, by the name of Athani. And as Suhaib's mother was playing with him, 
a group of Roman soldiers attacked that uh, that city and they took a large number of captives, including Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So subhanAllah, you know, whether it was uh, Khabab ibn al-Arat, who was kidnapped, sold into slavery, purchased from the slave market, ended up as, you know, in, in the presence of the Prophet sallallahu or of course the uh, the beloved uh, the beloved of the Habib sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Zayd ibn al-Haritha radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who once again came through Suq al-Uqad into the house of Khadija radiallahu anha, into the possession of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and freed by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. All of these people have this story and this is why it's just so important for us to understand, subhanAllah, we don't know what's at the end of our story. Each one of us has this unique story and the twists and turns that are happening in life are ending up at a certain journey. And uh, clearly, you know, with Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was planning in his favor and things are taking place in a very interesting way. So Suhaib is kidnapped as a five-year-old from the Persian Empire or from the rule of the Persian Empire, taken back with the Byzantines, separated from his mother in the slave markets. His mother was sold uh, to one uh, to one uh, master, slave master, who uh, you know would would take his mother away, and he'd never actually see his mother again. He never saw his father again. Suhaib was sold to another uh, slave owner, and uh, Suhaib would remain in the land of the Romans, and he looked like a Roman, an Arab kid whose father was a governor in the Persian Empire, kidnapped by Roman soldiers, would remain as a slave amongst the Romans for about twenty years. And Suhaib said that I would be, you know, I, I would serve with one master and then I would go to another. And because he looked like a Roman and he was in the Roman territories now, Suhaib picked up the language of the Byzantine Empire. So he learned how to speak Greek. And Suhaib completely forgot Arabic. Okay. So subhanAllah, there's a story now for uh, many of those whose parents are from uh, different countries maybe and have resided in this land and, and they don't speak the language of their parents. Suhaib lost his Arabic language. He really lost his Arabic identity, uh, his Arab identity as he was amongst the Romans uh, in their lands. So Suhaib grows up knowing that he is uh, from amongst the Arabs, which is significant to his story. Uh, but he looks like a Roman and he is a slave in the Roman lands and he speaks the language of the Romans and he uh, you know, he constantly uh, craves or longs to be amongst his people, right? To connect with his roots because he never actually had that. Being in the Persian lands, even though his father was royal amongst the Persian empire, Suhaib remained disconnected from his roots. And now, of course, being taken into slavery and sold over and over and over again for two decades, Suhaib longs for, uh, you know, for, for that ability to connect to his roots. So Suhaib... Uh, looks for an opportunity to escape from slavery and to head for the land of the Arabs. And he chooses Mecca. And there are two, two uh, you know, uh, parts of the story. None of them are actually fully authenticated as to what would have brought Suhaib to the land of Mecca. There are some that write that Suhaib had heard about the church leader speaking about the awaited prophet uh, in, in Mecca, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which of course in the land of Asham, there was talk of the Prophet So that's one possibility. Some of the uh, historians, they say that it was because Mecca was a place of asylum. It was a place of escape, a place of pilgrimage and a place of asylum. So Suhaib wanted to escape to Mecca and treat it like a place of asylum. So he uh, escapes slavery from the Romans, makes his way to Mecca. Here you have an Arab kid that was born in Persia, 
uh, enslaved by the Romans, looks like a Roman, speaks like the Romans now, escaped now to Mecca. And when he arrives in Mecca, he is uh, either purchased initially by Abdullah ibn Jid'an, uh, or he is immediately taken as a halif, as one who is indebted to him, as one who is under the protection, the guardianship of Abdullah ibn Jid'an. Abdullah ibn Jid'an was the richest man in Mecca. He was a person who, uh, you know, who was well known for not just his wealth, but for his generosity. And he takes Suhaib al-Rumi, again, whether he took him as a slave initially and freed him and made him, um, you know, uh, to be under his protection or immediately took him under his protection. Um, is not for certain. But it is important to understand Abdullah ibn Jud'an's story. Abdullah ibn Jud'an was the cousin of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the richest man in Mecca, a powerful man because of his wealth. Hilf al-Fudul, which would have guaranteed the protection of the likes of Suhaib. Hilf al-Fudul took place in the house of Abdullah ibn Jud'an. He was the one who finances all of what took place in Hilf al-Fudul. Um, he was well known for his generosity to people that were suffering in neighboring lands. And so, you know, when uh, when the people of Sham were suffering, Abdullah ibn Jud'an sent 2,000 camels to the people of Sham and loaded them with all sorts of goods so that they could uh, so that they could have their needs uh, fulfilled. Uh, people used to call from the roof of the Kaaba to the poor to tell them to come and to fill their uh, to to take their fill of the provisions of Abdullah ibn Jud'an. So Abdullah ibn Jud'an was a man who was very wealthy, who was very powerful because of his wealth. And he takes in Suhaib al-Rumi. And the reason why Suhaib is called Suhaib al-Rumi, even though now he's amongst his people, is because even until the day he died, Suhaib did not speak like an Arab. He spoke Arabic, but he always had a Roman accent, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, even when he passed away. So he looked like a Roman because of his appearance. He had blonde hair, he had fair skin. And he spoke Arabic always with a foreign accent, like one who was not who was not native, uh, due to his upbringing. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Um, but with that being said, he had a character that uh, that made him particularly endearing to Abdullah ibn Jud'an. So Abdullah ibn Jud'an turned him into his representative. He taught him trade. He taught him how to be a merchant. He taught him how to engage the marketplace of the Arabs. Suhaib was sharp. He knew how to engage uh, with the Arabs. He knew how to, uh, to, you know, to cash in on, on major deals. And so in the process, he himself in his own right became very wealthy. So Suhaib is very wealthy, but he has no one to really protect that wealth because Suhaib is not from one of the tribes in Mecca uh, where he could be protected. And so his protection... His protection solely rests, his tribal protection solely rests in the power of Abdullah ibn Jid'an. Now when Abdullah ibn Jid'an passes away, Suhaib is just a, a rich man in Mecca who trades, who buys and sells and trades. And you know he doesn't really have that protection. So if things are to go wrong, if there's any type of instability, Suhaib would be the first one to have his wealth taken away from him because he... Is, is not protected the way that many of the others are uh, protected. Now, did he know the Prophet ﷺ before Islam? There's a narration where he actually says, Sahibtu Nabi ﷺ qabla an yuha ilayhi, that I accompanied the Prophet ﷺ. I've been with the, I knew the Prophet ﷺ before revelation had come to him. And this could be in two capacities, either through the house of Ibn Jid'an, 
who again, Hilf al-Fudul was in his house. And the Prophet ﷺ, after he married Khadija radiallahu anha in particular, was looked to by the nobles to solve their issues, uh, to judge between them. The Prophet ﷺ was the youngest member of Hilf al-Fudul, of the treaty that was made, the pact that was made in the house of Ibn Jid'an. Uh, so that's one way. And the other way is trade, right? So the Prophet ﷺ, of course, himself, was a merchant. And Suhaib was a merchant. So uh, they would have come across one another, uh, perhaps through uh, some of the trade that they were both engaged with. Alayhi salatu was salam radiallahu ta'ala on Suhaib. Now, Suhaib hears about the Prophet ﷺ calling to Islam. And uh, Suhaib caught on to this because Suhaib was deeply perceptive in the marketplace. And so, you know, he's, he's very sharp, he's very perceptive. When he hears the murmurs about the Prophet's call, it immediately lands in his, in his ears, in his heart. He becomes very curious. He hears before most of Mecca has heard that the Prophet is secretly gathering with a small group of people in Dar al-Arqam uh, to teach them about this new religion of his. Suhaib has experienced the character of the Prophet Suhaib did not grow up uh, in idol worship the way that the Meccans did. So what you know, as far as his previous religious background, it's important to understand this. Suhaib was exposed to Zoroastrianism in Persia. He was exposed to the to the religion of the Romans, the Christianity of the Romans, the Byzantines, and he was exposed to the uh, idolatry of the Arabs. He's he's kind of seen it all. It doesn't seem like he had a particular attachment to any one of those uh, practices, any any one of those faiths or ways of practice before. But he hears about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He's experienced the nobility of the Prophet sallallahu both in the house of Ibn Jud'an, perhaps in trade, and he hears that Dar al-Arqam is where the Prophet sallallahu is gathered. This narration that I'm about to share with you is so beautiful because I want you to actually imagine the scene, right? If you were watching a movie and things were taking place so perfectly, uh, who narrates the story of Suhaib's Islam? Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa'an ummihi wa'an abihi Ammar, the son of Sumayya and Yasir he says that I found Suhaib laqeetu Suhaib ibn Sinan ala babi dar al-arqam wa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fiha he said I and Suhaib both arrived at the door of al-arqam at the same time where the Prophet sallallahu was inside and he was teaching Islam to the handful of people that were around him. So Suhaib and Ammar arrived to come and accept Islam at the exact same time, these two legendary figures in Islam. So Suhaib and Ammar arrive, and Ammar uh, says that when we both got to the house of Al-Arqam, Ammar said, I, taught, I, I said to Suhaib, uh, uh, what, what is it that you want? What are you doing here? And Suhaib said, well, what do you want? You know, what are you doing here, right? So they're both feeling each other out to see if they've heard the same news about the Prophet ﷺ and his few followers in Dar al-Arqam that are uh, speaking about Islam. So Ammar says, I said to Suhaib, you know, I, I'm, I'm intending to enter upon Muhammad ﷺ and hear what he has to say. Neither of them are Muslims before they go into that house, right? So Ammar says, you know, I, I heard that Muhammad is here and I want to hear what he has to say. So Haib said, I'm here for the exact same reason. So they knock on the door of Al-Arqam together. Al-Arqam enters the door, they enter in, and the Prophet ﷺ is there. فَعَرَضَ عَلَيْنَا الْإِسْلَامِ فَأَسْلَمْنَا 
So the Prophet ﷺ presented Islam to us and we accepted Islam. So Ammar and Suhaib accepted Islam together at the same time. Now we know um, as we talked about Khabbab and Ammar and Bilal and, uh, and, and Sumayyah and Yasir, that they were going to be tortured in unique ways. We know that the powerful, the elite amongst Quraysh would be tortured privately by the elite of their own tribes. Suhaib is a very unique situation because Suhaib has no protector. He has no master. He has, uh, Abdullah ibn Jud'an is dead. So he's gone. Uh, he's fair game to Quraysh and he's a tempting target because if you attack Suhaib, you can take his wealth. And right now, with the anti-Islamic uh, fervor that's going to grow in the climate in Mecca, the hostility towards the Prophet and his followers, who's going to stand up for Suhaib in a society where they would have been hesitant to stand up for him in the first place? Who would stand up for him as a Muslim now in that society? So they leave that house as Muslims and they're going to be forever tied together. And um, Suhaib is fair game to Quraysh. When Quraysh finds out about Suhaib's Islam, and Suhaib did not hide his Islam. He's amongst those who first um, made their Islam public. He's fair game to Quraysh, meaning anyone, anyone could torture Suhaib. Any one of the elites. If it was Abu Jahl one day, Umayyah the other day, it didn't matter. Any one of them could pluck Suhaib from the streets of Mecca and go and torture him for a few days and no one would say anything to him. And the connection of Ammar to Suhaib um, is constant. The connection of Ammar and Suhaib to Bilal and Khabbab is constant. Uh, as the narrations uh, tell us in, in, in the books of Seer, Kana Ammar ibn Yasir يعذب حتى لا يدري ما يقول وكان Suhaib يعذب حتى لا يدري ما يقول that Ammar and Suhaib used to be tortured uh, until they would not know what they were saying. So they would be beaten to a point of incoherence. They'd be tortured, hung out in the sun, um, whipped, dehydrated, starved, and each one of them would be tortured to a point that they no longer were even uh, aware of their environment. So they would be tortured to a point of being uh, disoriented. Um, and then you find, um, you know, some of the hadith and some, you know, that we've narrated thus far, the hadith of where the Prophet is told to abandon this lot, this group of people. And this group of people included Bilal and Khabbab and Ammar and Suhaib. So it was those types. They were considered the lower ones of Mecca. Not low because of his wealth. Low because Suhaib did not have a tribe in that area to protect him. So Suhaib was disregarded by the people of Mecca, even though he was an Arab, even though he, you know, he was wealthy because he didn't have a tribe. And there is a, a beautiful narration from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, from Abi Umama, and uh, though the authenticity of it is questionable, it's in all of the books of Sirr because it, it speaks to something very powerful about the subaq, about the forerunners, that the Prophet said, um, uh, that the forerunners are four. The first four, the forerunners are four. أنا سابق العرب وصهيب سابق الروم وبلال سابق الحبشة وسلمان سابق الفرس الفرس. So he said, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that uh, the forerunners are four. I am the forerunner amongst the Arabs. Suhaib is the forerunner amongst the Romans. Bilal is the forerunner amongst the Abyssinians, and Salman is the forerunner amongst the Persians. So uh, even though Suhaib, by the way, was of course, again, as we said, an Arab uh, in his blood, 
But because he lived amongst the Romans, he spent his childhood amongst the Romans, he grew up amongst the Romans, he looked like the Romans, he spoke like the Romans. He essentially was a Roman when he came to the Prophet Sallallahu And so the name fit him as Suhaib al-Rumi uh, anhu, as he embraced um, Islam uh, in those, under those circumstances. Now, the Hijrah comes. And when the time of the Hijrah comes, uh, Suhaib anhu, was one of those who was basically barred from society. And he was also barred from the ability to make the Hijrah alongside the Prophet Sallallahu so he talks about this. He says that I try to migrate, but Quraysh basically chained me up and they locked me up. So while Khabab was freed and Bilal was freed, Suhaib remained in this state of uncertainty because there was no way to actually free him. He wasn't someone that you could go and purchase his freedom. Uh, he just had to remain in this status of limbo amongst Quraysh this entire time. So he said that, you know, I was always held back by Quraysh and he hid his wealth. This is also an important part of the story. He hid his wealth. So Suhaib has his wealth somewhere that Quraysh is unaware of, hidden. And if you know the story of Abdullah ibn Jud'an, it fits because Ibn Jud'an got rich because he discovered some treasures in the caves uh, on the outskirts of Mecca. And uh, Suhaib says that I was watched by the guards of Quraysh 24-7. I mean, it was consistent watch for me. I was locked up and unable to go and join the Prophet ﷺ and his companions. So he said, then the time of Hijrah came. And he said, when the time of Hijrah came, uh, the companions had gone forth. And when the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr were to make the Hijrah, I was supposed to be the third amongst them, but Quraysh blocked me. So subhanAllah, he was looking forward to accompanying the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq on that journey of the Hijrah, but he was unable uh, to do so. So he said, Quraysh blocked me, I was locked up, and their intention was to forbid me from doing the Hijrah altogether. So Haif said, every single Muslim had left Mecca, all of those who intended to make the Hijrah had left to make the Hijrah, except for me. I was stuck in Mecca all by myself, uh, accompanied by the guards of Quraysh, unable to do anything in regards to my situation. He said, so one night, remember Suhaib was, was a very smart man, anhu. he said, one night I pretended to have diarrhea. Okay, so he said, I would stand up, I'd sit down, I'd hold my stomach, and I kept on requesting to go and answer the call of nature. So I kept on telling him, I've got to go, I've got to go, I've got to go. And he said that I did it so many times that night that they lost attention to me, that, they, that, that one of the times, it just got, they got sick of watching me as I'd go out to use the restroom. Um, they lost sight of me. So he said, I immediately went to, you know, when I went to use the, the, the restroom or I pretended to go and use the restroom, he said, I took off and I started to make my way to Medina. By the time they realized it, I was already, you know, uh, I was already advanced uh, somewhat to the outskirts of Mecca. So he said, they caught up with me and I was on top of uh, a mountain or on top of a hill actually, and I saw them coming at me, and I said to them, "Ya ma'ashara Quraysh, inni man armakum, wala tasiruna ilayya hatta armikum bikulli sahmin ma'i." He said, "Listen, O Quraysh, you know that I am amongst the most skilled archers amongst you." And he's pointing his arrows towards them. He said, "Wallahi, I will take every single one of these arrows, and I will pop each and every single one of you, 
and you will not arrive at me. So he's threatening them with his bow and arrow, and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's on top of a hill, so he could technically strike that group of people uh, that came to him. So they call out to Suhaib, and they say, you came to us with nothing and became wealthy on our account. And now you think we're just going to let you get away? You came to Mecca as a slave and you became rich in Mecca as a representative, as the Khalif of Abdullah ibn Jud'an. And you think that we're just going to let you come to Mecca, get rich in Mecca, and now you're going to leave uh, and, and, and get out of Mecca with all of your wealth? So Suhaib thought of a compromise. Suhaib says to them, listen, I will leave Mecca just like I came to it. If that's your concern, I'll leave Mecca just like I came to it. You no longer have any use of keeping me here and torturing me, right? So he says, if you want, if you want my money, dalaltukum alayhi, then I will, I will tell you exactly where all of my hiding places of my wealth are. And you will be able to go and to take all of that money. And the condition is that if I tell you where all of that money is, then you have to let me go to Medina. You have to let me go to Medina. So Suhaib told them exactly where his money was. And they said to Suhaib, you know what? Fine. You know, go ahead. Now Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu is able to leave Mecca, having given up everything that he earned in his time in Mecca. And that's where, by the way, a lot of the Mufassirun say, uh, this is where the ayah, Some say it was revealed after the torch of Bilal. Some say it was revealed in this incident that those who sell themselves for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Suhaib gave away his decades of wealth. He was one of the richest men in Mecca, but in a peculiar situation because he wanted to, to join the Prophet wasallam in Medina. So Suhaib makes his way to uh, Quba to join the Prophet wasallam. In his, uh, and his companions in Quba. And as Suhaib is getting there, he sees the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ sees Suhaib coming forward with none of his wealth, all by himself, looking sick. And the Prophet ﷺ says, What a profitable transaction, O Abu Yahya. What a profitable transaction. What a profitable transaction. And this is very powerful because that was the same language that the Ansar used when they asked the Prophet ﷺ, what are we going to get in return for taking you in? And the Prophet ﷺ, uh, told them, Al-Jannah. He said, I'm not guaranteeing you anything but paradise. That's it. I'm not guaranteeing you that Yathrib is going to become a world-class city uh, and turn into Medina that people will visit it from now on, that this is to your worldly benefit. I'm not promising you victory in battle. I'm promising you al-jannah. And they said, Rabbi al-bay'ah, then it is a transaction that is indeed worth it. And the Prophet ﷺ is telling Suhaib, Rabbi al-bay'ah, Abu Yahya, everything that you gave away, it was a profitable transaction. You can imagine, subhanAllah, on the Day of Judgment, as Suhaib is enjoying his jannah, right? Rabbi al-bay'ah, Abu Yahya, what a profitable transaction, O Abu Yahya, uh, that you made. Now, as he goes forward, uh, and, and some of the you know some of the narrations they say he arrived at Quba at the same time as Ali radiAllahu Taala Anhu. And if you remember when we talked about Ali, Ali radiAllahu Taala Anhu went by foot all by himself. Right after he took on the uh, the task of sleeping in the bed of the Prophet Sallallahu 
discharging his amanat, discharging the trusts of the Prophet ﷺ to the people of Mecca, then Ali anhu made his way uh, to Medina uh, by foot and, and came to Quba and his feet were full of blisters uh, and, you know, and, and, and wounds anhu because he had to make that journey without any horse or any camel. So Suhaib arrived at the exact same time as Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he's amongst the last to arrive um, at that time. And there's a funny narration that takes place here. And um, you're going to see a, a beautiful uh, relationship that develops between Umar and Suhaib. Okay? Uh, and this narration is at Quba. Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, I came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam starving from the hijrah. I was hungry. I was hungry. I was sick. I was tired. He said, my eyes were red, inflamed. He said, one of my eyes was almost completely, you know, was almost completely shut because it was, uh, you know, inflamed, clearly inflamed. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam told him, you know, come on and eat. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi had some bread and some tamar in front of him, some bread and some dates in front of him. So Suhaib radiallahu anhu says, فَوَقَعْتُ فِيهِ I just started to dig into the dates and the bread. I started to eat like crazy, right? Just, I forgot myself. And I kept on eating and eating and eating and eating. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, can't, you know, do you see how Suhaib is eating all of those dates, even though he has a sickness in his eye? Like you think that, you know, when you're really sick or when you have these, this inflammation or this is happening, that you wouldn't be that hungry, right? That you'd want to treat your... Uh, your illnesses. So uh, the Prophet Sallallahu he uh, said to uh, Suhaib, Ta'kulu tamran wa bika ramad. He said, you're eating these dates when you have that inflammation in your eye. So he says, I said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that I'm eating min nahiyatin ukhra. I'm eating from the other eye, <laughs> from the direction of the other eye, Ya Rasulullah. And so the Prophet Sallallahu he smiled widely. And of course, the laugh of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam uh, was a, a wide uh, smile uh, when he would see Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu in this situation. And you already start to see the uh, the, the relationship between Suhaib and Umar uh, that will develop, that inshallah ta'ala uh, we'll talk about momentarily. So in Medina, Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that there was not a single mashhad, not a single battle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, except that I was by his side, I was in front of him, I was behind him to his left or to his right. But he witnessed a closeness to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. And, uh, and he witnessed a particular closeness to Umar ibn Khattab ta'ala anhu, uh, as we said. And I want to actually fast forward to Fatah Mecca, to the conquest of Mecca. Remember when we spoke about Bilal ta'ala anhu, we said that uh, there was a comment that was made to Abu Sufyan that verily the swords of Allah did not reach the neck of the enemy of Allah as they should have. And that was Salman, Suhaib, and Bilal, right? And I just want you to remember that, inshallah ta'ala, so you can kind of understand the way that these lots are forming amongst the companions of the Prophet wasallam. that Suhaib had this connection always to, uh, uh, to Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, to Ammar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, to Khabab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, um, and, and to Salman radiallahu ta'ala anhu who shares a unique journey of Islam and of course going through slavery to arrive at the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as well. And of course the Prophet sallallahu alayhi uh, told Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu who had uh, admonished them uh, for saying that to Abu Sufyan that it might be that you would have angered them and so you would have angered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and Abu Bakr went to them and he sought forgiveness and they forgave him radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So let's talk about this relationship between Suhaib and Umar because it's important for a few reasons. One of them is that once we get to the life of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, it's very interesting that Umar radiallahu anhu, who is this proud, boastful man, keeps showing up as someone who is extremely close to Bilal, to Khabbab, to Suhaib, to Ammar, to Salman, and to Ibn Mas'ud, by the way, who will also uh, talk about, may Allah be pleased with them all, which shows you how Islam truly turned these people into brothers across class, across journey, across race, across all of these different things, across tribe, of course, um, you know, more than all of that. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu has this narration where he says to uh, Suhaib, Suhaib had come to the area uh, of, of the elevated uh, lands if you go to Medina. So the, uh, the area where you find, um, you know, the, where Salman radiallahu ta'ala anhu's garden was, uh, where uh, some of the Sahaba used to live. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, <clears throat> He said that what a man you are, lola khisal thalath fiq. He said, had it not been for three things in you, right? He said, I, I find no flaws in you, O Suhaib, except for three things. He said, number one, <clears throat> he said that you have taken the kunya of Abu Yahya and you don't have a son named Yahya. <laughs> so why are you Abu Yahya? And uh, so I don't understand that about you. He said, and then you uh, ascribe yourself to the Arabs and you're a Roman. So why is it that you ascribe yourself to the Arab and you are a Roman? And then he said, you tend to be extravagant in your purchase of food. You purchase a lot of food. And remember that incident that took place when Suhaib anhu came uh, to make the hijrah with the Prophet wasallam. So Suhaib anhu responded and he says, as for the kunya of Abu Yahya, he said the Prophet called me Abu Yahya. He said that was something that the Prophet said to me and so I, embraced that name because it was what the Prophet ﷺ called me. And he says, as for the um, uh, the ascription to the Arabs, it is because, in fact, my father is an Arab. And that's how you have the, the, the narration of Suhaib anhu telling his story about how they were an Arab family amongst the Persians. His father became a governor on behalf of Kisra, and then he was kidnapped to the Romans, and then he made his way back to the Arabs. And he says, as for the, uh, the third one, which is that you are extravagant in your purchase of food. He said, I heard the Prophet wasallam say, خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ أَطْعَمَ الطَّعَامِ The best of you are those who feed many people. So Suhaib liked to purchase a lot of food and he liked to feed many people uh, as well, whether it was the poor or whether as some form of keeping people uh, together. So they have this relationship, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And it shows in the virtue of Suhaib as well. Uh, actually, when Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was attacked and murdered, uh, when Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was stabbed, and of course we know that Umar lived some time because of his strength radiallahu ta'ala anhu, despite the severity of his wounds to where he still was able to appoint the shura, he still was able to give his orders and to make his final requests for some time after he had been stabbed radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uh, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu appointed Suhaib to be the imam of the Muslims until they would settle on an imam through the shura, meaning until they would come up with a khalifa. And this is, this is huge for many reasons. Number one, it speaks to the virtue of Suhaib, right? 
in the presence of all of those companions, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu chose him, favored him to be the one to lead the salah in the presence of or in the absence of a khalifa as the shura would deliberate and would come up with the khalifa. Um, number two, Suhaib had a foreign accent. He did not have a native Arab tongue. And so, you know, despite his foreignness, both in terms of his appearance and where he came from and his language, the way he spoke, his foreignness and not having a tribe to ascribe himself to that was known to Quraysh, uh, all of that, Umar who still appointed him as the Imam of the Muslims as they were deliberating on who uh, the Khalifa would be. So that's one of the great uh, virtues of Suhaib and it speaks to the culture in Islam uh, you know, that, that was created that Umar of course, who you know, we saw was completely transformed by Islam. His outlooks of the world, his tribal outlooks, all of that was completely uh, transformed with Islam and that shows itself in Suhaib being appointed as the Imam in his absence. And we also see, by the way, that when Umar was wounded, that Suhaib uh, wept in the presence of Umar. And um, as he wept and cried heavily, he shouted out, Wa akha, Oh my brother, oh my brother. SubhanAllah, he didn't call out to him and say, Oh my Khalifa, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. But the affection that he had for Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, Oh my brother, you know, my brother is dying. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Ya Suhaib, O oh Suhaib, don't you know that the Prophet sallallahu say, uh, said that the dead is punished because of the lamenting of the living? So he told him to, uh, to, to tone down his weeping and his mourning as Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was passing away. But that shows you the love that they had. And what an honor that Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu was actually uh, the one who uh, jumped into the grave of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu and received his body to place it alongside the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And that speaks to, you know, that in and of itself is an incredible honor uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed on Suhaib al-Rumi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He would live sometime into the, uh, the Khilaf of Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And uh, when the fitna would break out, when the trials and tribulations amongst the companions would break out, Suhaib was one of those who avoided it altogether. He took to the mountains, he, uh, he purchased his sheep, he, uh, he did not want anything to do with the internal disputes amongst the Muslims. And so he died in a relatively obscure way despite his lofty status. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, may Allah be pleased with him. Uh, for the, the wonderful personality and the journey of this man who is again one of the first seven to publicize his Islam, the last of whom we are covering uh, in the series. He was you know, survived by a few of his children. He was married uh, once according to, uh, according to the books uh, to uh, Raita bint Abi Umayyah and he had a few children. And that's actually where you find some of the narrations of his hadiths. Like Bilal who like some of the others that we've mentioned, because he died young and because he did not uh, have the ability to transmit some of the narrations on behalf of the Prophet there are very few that are narrated from Suhaib But I was just looking, and, and one thing that I like to do always is when I look to a companion, especially those that haven't narrated a large body of hadith, I like to see what hadith they did narrate. And you can think about how those ahadith affected their own lives. And subhanAllah, uh, I found one of the most famous ahadith of the Prophet in regards to tribulation is narrated by this man, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. 
and think about how this hadith fits him. The Prophet said, Ajaban li amril mu'min. How wonderful is the affair of the believer. There is good in, for him in everything that happens to him. And that is only the case of the believer. Uh, this is not for anyone except for the believer. If prosperity comes to him, if good comes to him, shakara, then he is grateful. And that is better for him. And if hardship comes to him, then he is patient and that is better for him. So this very famous hadith that you will hear often talking about hardship and talking about the way we perceive life. Uh, this is narrated by Suhaib al-Rumi from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And think about all that happened to the Prophet that, that happened to Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the pursuit of Allah and his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Rabi ya Abu Yahya. What a profitable transaction you made, O Abu Yahya. Uh, in the process of coming to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and giving everything else up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not thinking about the consequences at any point. Another famous hadith that's narrated from Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recited the verse لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُ الْحُسْنَ وَزِيَادَةً that for those who have done good is the is ihsan, for those who have put forth excellence is an excellent reward in return and even more. And the Prophet said, when the people of Jannah enter into Jannah and the people of fire enter into the fire, a caller will cry out and say, Ya Ahlal Jannah, O people of paradise, you have a covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he wishes to fulfill. And they would respond and they would say, uh, what is it? You know, what wama hu? Uh, what is it that Allah wants to give to us? Hasn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already uh, made our good deeds heavy? Hasn't he already made our faces bright? Hasn't he already entered us into Jannah, protected us from hellfire? And then the Prophet said, the veil will be lifted and they will gaze upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, the Prophet says, فَوَاللَّهِ I swear by Allah, مَا أَعْطَاهُمُ اللَّهُ شَيْئًا أَحَبَّ إِلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّظَرِ إِلَيْهِ the Prophet said, Allah will not give them anything that is more beloved to them or more pleasing to them than being able to look at him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, the more in this ayah, what is more than Allah repaying with Jannah is the ability to gaze upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in al-Jannah. And that was narrated by uh, Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be in that gathering uh, that gazes upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the highest level of Jannah al-Firdaus in the presence of the Prophet Allahumma ameen. And lastly, the long story of Ashab al-Ukhdud in Sahih Muslim. When you read Surah al-Buruj and you read about the people of the ditch, the people who were tortured for saying La ilaha illallah and killed by that oppressive king, that long narration in Sahih Muslim is also narrated by uh, Suhaib al-Rumi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So it gives you a little bit of how these companions would have uh, really uh, had certain sayings of the Prophet resonate with them in a very powerful way because they could, they, they could see it in their own experience. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to experience Jannat al-Firdaus alongside them. Allahumma ameen. Inshallah ta'ala next week we'll talk about uh, al-Arqam and Dar al-Arqam because that is the home where Ammar and Suhaib found Islam together at the same time. And inshallah ta'ala will help us to, com- to, to continue to build out uh, the, the climate in Medina at that time. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.